RadioInfluence.com. This is the Valor Hour on Radio Influence. Your weekly glimpse inside all things Valor Fights and a look at what's going on in the rest of the MMA community. Now, here's your host, Tim Loy. Welcome to another edition of the Valor Hour. I'm your host, Tim Lloyd, joined with my co-host, Justin Watson. We are ready for another big episode out there, guys. We're going to be recapping uh, the UFC card and the Bellator card from this past weekend, as well as a preview of this weekend's big pay-per-view for the UFC. Excited for the uh, trilogy of uh, DC and Stipe. We're going to talk about that in uh, detail a little bit later, um, as well as uh, a few news and notes at the end. We're going to get you all caught up on some of the the current events if you will in the the world of mma as we get ready to uh, get back into action here in valor country we're just about uh, i guess we're right now about three weeks out from uh, september the 4th and that's going to be our return to the world famous cotton eye joe for valor 72 and uh we'll start doing some interviews next week on here for uh, to promote that as well as the uh following weeks valor 73 card down at camp jordan arena chattanooga tennessee justin how's it going my man good man we had, we had some good fights this past weekend i think we're gonna have a pretty good card coming up what do you think i think it's good man i'm, I'm actually pretty excited for this weekend this past weekend there was some things that interested me, but I, it wasn't a card that I was like looking forward to per se, but this is what I definitely am. I think this is a solid pay-per-view offering and uh, sounds like we've already gotten some movement on uh, the main card. We'll get into that here a little bit later, but uh, first, I guess, let's jump into uh, our recap of last week. Man, we had uh, First off, we had Bellator. Uh, they were returning uh, to Connecticut to the Mohegan Sun Casino for a big card there. Pretty solid offering, really, man. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a lot of UFC veterans, a lot of recognizable names on this card. Uh, we'll uh, we'll just start here, a uh, quick run through the prelims here. Adam Boritz uh, gets a split decision, went over Mike Hamill. That was, uh, he was a fairly heavy favorite in that fight to only squeak out a split decision there. Uh, Chris Lencioni with a little bit of an upset, I guess, as far as the books would say, over AJ Agazarm. But I think a lot of people are starting to, uh, I guess, uh, lose a little bit of stock in Agazarm here as he hasn't really been the hot prospect that everyone was expecting him to be. Uh, Valerie Lareda stays undefeated with a big knockout, like a walk-off knockout at the bell over Tarek Rath. Um, and then Grant Neal beats, unan- uh, beats Hamza Salim by unanimous decision. Charlie Campbell over Nanoy Dung by TKO. And then Dalton Rasta over Mark Gardner by TKO. Anything on these prelims uh, stand out to you? I think this Lareda is uh, a girl they're really looking to build. She's, uh, she's twerking it there after, after a win. Yeah, she was. She's a she's a firecracker. I mean, she's solid too. You know, her stand up looked good. <clears throat> um, got the knockout. Um, the Agazon fight was pretty weird. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Just like neither neither one of those guys are top top level. You know, right? Um, but in in certain positions, Agazon you know had a had a very large advantage, and I think he just I don't know. I don't know if he just didn't have the the knowledge of, you know, being in the, in the cage, um, and to, to finish the fight, I think he had opportunities and, um, and then afterwards, you know, he lost and was pitching a fit about it. But I mean, I think that, I think that it was his fight to lose, you know, I think he kind of gave it up. So that was, that was kind of odd. Yeah, I agree for sure. 
Uh, main card, uh, we'll see. We'll start off here. Uh, Miles Jury gets a split decision win over Georgie Karahanian, uh, a fight that he was a fairly sizable favorite in. And then uh, we had an, uh, an upset, pretty big, but the biggest favorite of the night loses here. Sabah Hamasi knocks off Curtis Millinder by unanimous decision. I got burnt there. I did a parlay with Millinder and Chandler and uh, ended up losing in the very first leg of it. Your thoughts on uh, these first two? Uh, yeah, that was a that was a big one. Um, you know, I, I, I thought Millinder was gonna uh, be able to win that fight, and um, just didn't just didn't have enough. What was the other one that you said? I'm trying to get the results pulled up, and it keeps uh, pulling Miles up. Jury. Yeah, Miles Jury. Miles Jury. Yes, that was a close fight, man. Um, I, I wasn't positive that it was going to Jury. I felt like he probably did enough to win it, but um, I think the judges had it um, two to one. Um, but you know, solid, solid performance by both guys. I don't think either one of them lose, lost any stock in that fight. Co-main event. We had, uh, we had, uh, what I guess would be considered a slide upset to your, to your average fan. Uh, it was Timothy Johnson with his second big upset in a row, knocking out Matt Mitrione in three minutes and 14 seconds into the first round TKO, uh, you know, coming off the knockout over Tyrell fortune before that. So a little bit of new life breathed into Timothy Johnson and uh, man, Mitrione uh, star is starting to uh, fade. Yeah. I didn't really see that one coming. That was kind of a clash of heads um, that dropped Mitrione. It looked like, and then, Tim Johnson just jumped on him and started throwing shots. Um, I don't know, man. Mitrione's a super athletic guy. I thought that he would be able to win this fight. Um, I don't know how much of an effect that headbutt had, but um, it seemed to be what caused that to happen. But, I mean, it's a big win for Timothy Johnson, I think. You know, it puts him – gives him a, um, a spot in, you know, in the top of the heavyweights in, in Bellator now. No, the main event, probably the biggest surprise of the night for me, not that he won, but the way he won. Michael Chandler, uh, on the final fight of his Bellator contract before he heads into free agency, with a two-minute knockout. I mean, a knockout over Ben Henderson. I did like Michael Chandler in this fight, but I figured it would probably be a decision, especially with it being a three-round fight. I felt pretty damn confident about a decision. And, uh, no, man, he knocked him out. Big win for Michael Chandler as he heads into free agency. You know, we've been seeing a lot of people, like, lose their fight before they they go into free agency. And he he wins and, and, you know, raises his stock. What do you think about the win? And where do you think we see Michael Chandler end up? Do you think we see him re-sign with Bellator? Do you think UFC uh, extends their uh, their wallet out there and gives him the big bucks? Because, you know, we could see some huge fights at 155 there. Yeah, so first off, man, that was that was dirty what, what Chandler did to Bendo. He kind of switched stances. He, he threw a kick and used that to disguise a, a switching stance and then just threw a one-two and just blasted him, man. Hendo went, you know, kind of face forward towards the mat and then caught one on the top of the dome afterwards. Um, and that was all she wrote. That was, you know, we talked about it with Paige Van Zant and, and we talked about it, you know, here recently with uh, Verdum. Verdum did it, you know, went out the way you want to go out on your last fight. And that's what Chandler did here. I think he put himself in, obviously put himself in the perfect um, place going into the free market. Um, I think, I hope the UFC takes him. I think that, um, you know, he's 35. So there are, you know, the UFC does want more up and coming guys and they're, they're going to have to spend to get him. Um, So I think there's a good chance of it. I just don't know that they're going to offer him as much as he might get offered from, you know, a a one FC or maybe even a bare knuckle um, thing. So, uh, I hope that, that he goes to the UFC. I think that's where the competition's at. Um, you know, 
it wouldn't sh- she wouldn't shock me if he resigns with Bellator. Uh, you know, there's not a lot to do with him though. He just keeps fighting. Um, you know, the Pitbull brothers. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I hope he comes to the UFC, but um, he's the ball's in his court, man. And you know, he, he uh he's got all the cards on the table right now. You know, Chandler strikes me as the type that's about that money. Yeah, me too. And I mean, at that point, at this point in your career, how can you really not be? You know, um, it, at some point, you know, everybody wants to be world champion, and everybody wants to be the UFC world champion. But Chandler's only got a few more years left. So if he comes to the UFC and gets knocked off, you know, it's not like he's going to come in and and just walk into a title fight. He's going to come into the stiffest competition the UFC's got right off the bat, and he's going to have to win a few. Um, and you know, is it you do that for less money and know that, well, you know, there's an opportunity. I might win these three fights and, and get a title shot and win it. But that's all I've really got left in my in my career anyway, or take this, you know, massive four fight deal somewhere else um, and then never have to worry about my kids or anything again. So um, I, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I think that he'll go where the money's at. Uh, unless it's kind of close. If, it, if it's kind of close, I think he'll probably take the UFC over anybody. You know, and you think about it, it'll probably take uh, every bit of a year, probably. If you go to the UFC, it'll take a year at least before he's in those marquee-type fights for that real big payday. You know? Yeah, if he's fighting very consistently in that year. I mean, right. you know, if he comes in and takes one fight and doesn't fight for a year, he's not, you know, moving up the ranks any. If he can't, he would have to come in and knock off two or three guys within the, the first year in order to be even be in the, in that discussion, I think. So um, that division is just nasty right now. <clears throat> you know, there's guys that have already put themselves there. Um, and I don't see him getting past, you know, a lot of those guys either at his age and with, with the miles he already has on him. Moving on, of course, our next event was Saturday night. That was the UFC Vegas number six. And uh, we had the uh, the main event here was uh, heavyweight action as the Black Beast Derek Lewis uh, took on Alexi Olenek. And uh, man, I tell you what, uh, if this was a tale of two rounds. Derek Lewis uh, had some some rough moments in that first round, but in the second round, Olenek just really kind of blew his wide trying to trying to get him out of there in the first. Just didn't have any defense. Falls to a TKO just 21 seconds into the into the first round. Uh, your thoughts on this main event? <sighs> That was rough, man. I, I, I took Olenek. I thought that he was going to get a, you know, a, a submission in the first or second. <clears throat> I, I'm still confused as to why he went for that. I mean, the from he was inside control. He could have gone head and arm. He could have gone into mount, um, done an Ezekiel from mount, which he loves doing. He could have taken an arm, you know, a Kimura. He could have done a lot of things from the position that he had. And then he went for, you know, an old school judo scarf hold that, it's it's not a blood choke. It's you know kind of collapsing your diaphragm and uh, cutting off the oxygen. But you can hold your breath for a damn long time. Um, those aren't the chokes that people are tapping out to, you know. And I don't know, you know, and, and you have to give it everything. I mean, you have to give it everything you've got, especially with a guy that big. Um, so I don't know what he was thinking with that. But man, Derek, Derek wasn't going going back to that position again when he came out in the second round. He threw a flying knee to the chest and then just a massive right hand, um, just square on the jaw. And that was pretty much all she wrote, you know, his ground and pound. Once he hits you and gets you down, he throws some of the some of the hardest shots on the ground that you're going to see. Um, and Olenek felt every one of them. 
if you're the UFC matchmakers here, what do you, what do you do next with Derek Lewis? You know, I, I will say it looked to me like he was in the best physical condition that we've seen it. He seemed like he was much slimmer, much more athletic, much more spry, if you will, if, if you can use that term to describe Derek Lewis. But, uh, you know, he, he mentioned wanting to lose another 15, 20 pounds before he gets back in there. Is this a situation where we may, uh, you know, he kind of waits and lets the line thin out in front of him, uh, you know, for the top of the heap, or do we see him uh, in there sooner than later? I, I would be targeting maybe uh, one of the guys that's going to come out of this fight this weekend, maybe if uh, Rosenstruck were to win. Yeah, um, Rosenstruck, JDS. Has he fought JDS before? I'm not sure. Let me look, man. It feels really. like it feels like maybe he has, but yeah, I feel uh, like JDS may have decisioned him. Um, but either way, that's still a fight. I think that would be good if JDS gets the win, um, or maybe an Alistair Overeem. It looks like they're going to go with Curtis Blades. They're kind of going back and forth at each other. I don't think that's the best fight for the UFC. If if, if it was me, you know. Derek Lewis is extremely marketable. You let this fight happen this weekend with, you know, the title. You give Francis the next shot. You, you know, we'll talk about this later, but you could end up with DC and Stipe walking away this weekend, which leaves a vacant title. Um, and, you, you know, even if even if DC wins and leaves a vacant title, that, you know, leaves a spot for Derek Lewis to step in um, and rematch in Ghana. Well, for the record, for the record, real quick, uh, Derek Lewis did lose to JDS by a second round TKO in March of 2019. So it would oh. make sense to kind of run that back and avenge that loss if JDS wins. Yeah, and that wasn't that long ago. So that was after his uh, win over. That would that would have been like after his title fight and everything. Yeah. Um. So I I don't know where I missed that fight, but um. Anyway, yeah, I, I think that that would be a possibility. But again, I think that. Um, you know, if they have a vacant title at heavyweight, you can market the hell out of him and Ngano for the rematch. There was, you know, plenty of underlying um, circumstances that led to the first fight being the way that it was. I think it was and, real bad. Yeah, I think you can. I think you can get that out of the fans' mind. You know, when you show them the last couple of knockouts that Lewis has had, the last couple of knockouts Francis has had. You know, I, I think that a stinger like that isn't isn't going to come again. I think it was a a once in a blue moon thing um, when the two guys like that fight. Um, but, but yeah, uh, the ones that you said, or, or a title fight, if it's open. All right, moving on here. Uh, let's see our co-main event uh, from uh, this past weekend. We had uh, the return of Chris Weidman as he de- uh, defeats a Mariak Medoff unanimous decision, uh, including a 10-8 round on a couple of cards, it looks like. Um, you know, Weidman after this one said that he's ready to, you know, come for the top of the division again. I don't, I think that's putting the cart before the horse a little bit. I'm happy to see him get this win. You know, he did what he needed to do to get the win, but I still don't know how much we can take from the performance, and especially against an opponent that wasn't really there to check his chin, you know? Yeah, um, that's that's what he's going to have to face at the top of the division right now. Unfortunately, is people who can knock him out, and that's the worst style of a fight for him. And you know, for the longevity of his career, and just for the style that he fights, and um, what he's you know been through in the last few years. Um, but I, I think he looked good. You know, I think he I think he won the first round, lost the second round pretty clearly, um, and then I thought. You know, the third round is where the 10-8s came in. And, um, you know, in between rounds, you know, his coach just said, you know, I I want you to go out there and show me that you're winning this fight. You know, 
you have to go out there and do something or we're not going to keep doing this. Basically, you know, he's kind of been telling him, uh, Ray Longo has been kind of saying, you know, we're taking this one fight at a time, you know, and if, if you're not in there fighting like you used to and, you know, going for wins, then I, I don't have, you know, I don't really want to be here. So, um, Ray told him that in between the second and third, and he came out and dominated the third round and got the win. It wasn't the, the best best performance, but Akhmedov is a dangerous dude. I mean, he, he can smash you. Um, and, you know, it's not he's not a, a prolific striker, but he, he can hit really hard um, if he's given the opportunity and he can wrestle, he can do it all. So I think it was a good win, um, but uh, maybe, maybe number seven, eight, nine, Something like that next for Chris Weidman. He was unranked going into this because he had moved up. And um, Akhmedov, I think, was 11th. So, you know, maybe somewhere in the in the high top 10. Feature bout here. Uh, we had Darren Stewart getting a big win by submission. His first ever submission over Maki Patolo. I was uh, on Patolo here, so uh, took a loss on this one. Overall, did pretty good on the night. But uh, I was on Patolo on this one. I thought maybe he would have some knockout power to get Stewart out of there. But uh, Stewart needed this win. He went out there and got it. And, uh, you know, kind of uh, keeps himself uh, firmly entrenched in the middle of the middleweight division. Yeah, I, I kind of thought Stewart was going to grind out a decision. Um, and he came out there and, you know, went full tilt right away. He saw the neck and, and took it. Um, you know, first first submission of his career, like you said, Maki Patola is not, you know, super elite, but um, he's definitely an up-and-coming guy, and it's it's uh, makes a statement to come out and stop him like that that quickly, I think. Before that, we had Yana Kuditskaya getting a somewhat uh, pedestrian unanimous decision over Yulia Stoyarenko. We knew uh, Stoyarenko was going to be gunning for that for that arm bar. That's uh, that's pretty much how she likes to win her fights. And um, as such, Kuditskaya fought a good game plan, not necessarily that aesthetically pleasing, but uh, smart and got the job done. I don't think that it really raises her stock in my eyes as far as moving up the rankings too much as kind of a placeholder. Yeah, I agree. You know, it just it. She doesn't necessarily fall back because she she got a win, but um, she didn't turn any heads with that performance for sure. Um, that was you know she 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 just grinded out a win, uh, which is what she needed. And you know, time you know right now when um, you know her boyfriend hasn't been able to fight in a long time, you know things are uncertain for everybody. And just to get in there and get a win and, and get both checks, um, you know, sometimes that just has to be good enough. You know, and and not take an L. And then, of course, uh, leading off the main card here. Now, this one uh, was the one that we were all waiting for in these parts. Benil Darush taking on Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman uh, from right here in East Tennessee in Valor Country. Of course, uh, this being his uh, biggest step up in competition, getting a crack at a top 15 ranked opponent. Uh, Darush, man, really looked good. Um, you know, uh, just uh, first off, let's start by, you know, he missed weight, which was a little disappointing. And you could tell no one was more disappointed than he was. That said, he looked pretty decent at the weigh-ins. It wasn't one of those weigh-ins where Darush looked just sucked out and like hell. And like he just really done everything he could to cut the weight. He looked okay. And uh, so I started to have a little bit of worries, uh, you know, at that point. But, uh, you know, Darush just fought really well. Holtzman took some really tough shots. I mean, it started off a little gritty, a little grimy, a little, uh, you know, some some uh, pokes to the eye and low blows. And I was worried he was going to devolve into a bit of a mess. But, uh, you know, they both settled down after that. Darush and Holtzman both landed some decent shots. Darush landed a knee to the head at one point that really seemed to change 
everything. Holtzman, to his credit, never went down, but it definitely stunned him and definitely slowed him down. And uh, Darush was able to end it with a spinning back forearm, I guess, for lack of a better word, and uh, and puts Holtzman down for his first ever finish. First time Holtzman's ever been finished. Uh, can't take anything away from Darush's performance, though, man. I think he's ready for a top 10 guy. Yeah, um, it was a tough one to watch, man. You know, I, I was hoping for a nasty, gritty fight, uh, but I'm kind of glad that, that it went out when it did. Um, you know, but halfway through that round, Darius just was piecing Scotty up. Um, and I think that, that they were just on a totally different level um, in the stand-up department. Maybe maybe it was because of that knee. Scotty just didn't know where he was at. But um, Darius was just on top of him, landing everything. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a scary spot to be in. Uh, but Darius looked great. You know, afterwards he said if he were to get the bonus that he wanted them to send it to Scotty because he missed weight. But if you're, if you're not sucked out and you miss weight like that, I think that looks a lot worse. You know, uh, I feel like we've been talking about this a lot about guys missing weight and doing it to get the advantage of, of not, you know, sucking yourself out. But, you know, Scotty was a little overweight too. And Scotty said, um, he could have, he could have just said, let's just do a catch weight. Benil was already missed weight. He wasn't going to weigh back in. Scotty had, had the opportunity to just do the same thing, but he went, you know, he missed weight the first time, went back and cut the weight and, and made it like a pro. Um, so I don't know, man, that was, it was a tough one to watch. I hope Scotty can get back in there pretty quick and uh, get that taste out of his mouth. What's interesting, if you go back in a cheap plug for my for my radio show that Vince Ferrara and I do on uh, the Sports Animal 99.1, you can uh, catch it on uh, the podcast on demand by the time you're listening to this. Uh, that show will have aired you know, already. But we got an interview with Ben Harrison on that uh, broadcast, Scott Holtzman's coach at Shield Systems. And it's really interesting because uh, essentially Ben – uh, more or less says you know, that, you know, a big part of why he thinks Scotty lost the fight was because he had some faulty, uh, some faulty information in his ear as to what his approach in the striking aspect of the fight should be. And I can only assume that that is uh, pointed towards uh, the coaches at Jim O. Uh, where Scott does a lot of his training as well. In fact, the bulk of his training, because they've just got a lot more bodies over there to, to work with him. But, uh, you know, that said, Ben's been with him for, you know, a decade uh, and really knows his style. And uh, so it was really interesting to hear that, I thought. You know, Ben said in, in that interview that, you know, while it wouldn't necessarily be ideal for them uh, to go to the ground with Dar- Darush, it didn't need to be a situation where they just had to avoid it at all costs, you right. know. So I thought that was interesting. Any any take there? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, you know, um, when, you know, it didn't look like the Scotty we've, we've always seen. Um, his striking did, it looked off. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that he could have taken the fight to the ground. I think Scotty has really good top control. Um, and I think he could have avoided some submissions and maybe worn Darius down a little bit, you know, to get some of the steam off of those shots um, and take him into deeper water. It's kind of what I, kept thinking was going to happen. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really, doesn't, um, doesn't surprise me. Uh, I didn't know that he was down there that much now, but you know, now that hearing that, it doesn't really surprise me. 
undercard. Uh, we saw the uh, Tim Means uh, get back on the winning track with a unanimous decision win over Laureano Staropoli. I actually like Means here as an underdog. I thought Staropoli was pretty untested still, and Means just if he tell you the truth, I thought Means needed to take him down to win. Uh, didn't like him trading strikes with him, but he pretty much did that. And managed to pull it off anyway. So a win for Tim Means as an underdog. Nasrat Hakparos. And his decision went over Alex Munoz. Munoz was game, man. Uh, you know, I, he's a wrestling coach at Alpha Male. I thought he was going to be very one-dimensional, just wanting to wrestle. And, man, he stood in there and, and traded with him. He just just what didn't have enough. And then uh, Kevin Holland with a very entertaining third-round TKO over a very game, Joaquin Buckley. Man, they, Holland's – he's something else, man. He, he was like – providing running commentary in the cage, talking to the guy uh, the whole time. Uh, to Buckley's credit, man, I mean, you know, he stayed in there, uh, you know, through up until the third round before he finally went down spectacularly. But, uh, you know, he was sitting there on pretty short notice as well. Uh, Kevin Holland, he's an entertaining one, man. I'd like to see him and Edmund Shabazian just because the striking, I think there would be, you know, a really fun fight. Your uh, thoughts on these three? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I was super impressed with Alex Munoz, too. Hasperat's an animal, man, and he hits hard. And Munoz also has that look like, you know, kind of like the Uriah Faber look. And, you know, kind of looks like if you punch him a couple of times, he's just kind of want to going to want to quit. But he didn't. He kept taking him and, um, you know, he showed a lot of resilience. And, um, you know, I think he'll he'll be, uh, you know, pretty a pretty good staple in the division um, if he can, you know, get in there and keep getting some, some solid fights. Um, Tim Means, I had him as well. I was – pretty worried about it, you know, going into it. Um, I, you know, he, he kind of took the the safe route. He pressed him against the cage a lot. Um, a lot of control time, not a lot of damage done, uh, but got the win. Kevin Holland, you know, man, he's just so big for the – he's so long for the division, I feel like. You know, he's, he's not that big. He doesn't even really cut much weight. But um, I think he could probably make 70 if he wanted to. But, um, you know, his, his striking is very – crisp it's very very crisp and you know his straight punches are on the money and he doesn't even have to hit you that hard he just he times it right when you're coming in puts a straight right on your on the button and buckley went down you know but buckley came in there to fight i mean he, you know he, he was going to make the bet the uh, most of the opportunity and i think he i think he gave a good account for himself kevin holland just hard to hit he's so long and his movement is kind of awkward he can he just bends it out of the way of stuff um, so, but I, I thought, uh, Buckley looked good, you know, uh, all things considered. And I wouldn't mind that fight with, uh, Shabazian either. Um, Shabazian hits, I, I just feel like if Shabazian hits Holland the way that he was hitting Brunson early in that fight, it could be, it could be bad for Holland. Um, I don't know if his body can withstand those, those kind of shots, but, um, it'd be a fun one. It'd be a fun one to watch. You know, I also wouldn't mind seeing like a Marvin Vittori. That's what I was thinking. That would be a pretty good one. You know, Holland's in there talking to the guys like, I know you're nervous, man. It being your first time, I've been there. I know what it's <laughs> like. You know, it's crazy. He's like, I really like you. At the end of one race, I really like you. <laughs> Another one I was thinking about earlier that um, I would be all for is if uh, Kevin Holland wanted to step up on short notice and uh, replace Yoel Romero and fight Uriah Hall. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. Be a big uh, step up in competition, but I mean, I think that you know, I think he'd be down for it. He's he's the type of guy that wants to turn around quick and show that he's ready. And um, he said he wanted to be the cowboy. You know, he said cowboys on his way out, but he wants to be the next guy that just fights anybody anywhere. And um, so 
I think that'd be a, a fun one to watch. Andrew Sanchez uh, gets a first round knockout over Wellington Tournament. I was on Sanchez here too. I loved him at plus money, man. Uh, Sanchez is a pretty decent fighter, you know, and Tournament hadn't really showed much to me beyond being like a grinder type that's going to play into Sanchez's strengths and not knock him out, <laughs> you know. So uh, I was actually really surprised to see Sanchez get the knockout though, and that was that was a pleasant one there gavin tucker also uh with a uh a kind of a come from behind win if you will he definitely lost the first round to justin james uh got dropped and then uh james kind of went for submission all out wasn't able to get it uh second round starts to turn around a little bit tucker started to strike and then the third round he gets the rear naked choke a minute 43 seconds in a lot of people were on justin james there i think a lot of people were really you know remembering that Frank Camacho knockout, you know, more than anything. I was on top of James early and I, and I pivoted at the last second. I was like, nah, fuck it. I'm going Tucker. And it worked out. Uh, Yusef Zalal with a unanimous decision win over Peter Barrett. I thought he knocked him out early, but Barrett showed a lot of chutzma to, to, you know, pull it together and, you know, come back and kind of, you know, grind out the whole 15 minutes. And then uh, starting out the card, it was Erwin Rivera with a split decision win over Ali Alcasey. Uh, you know, entry level, bottom tier bantamweights. Kind of an exciting fight, though. I thought both guys looked pretty decent. Alcasey at first, I thought looked kind of clunky, and I was like, "Oh no, you know, this guy's gonna get killed." But no, he kind of put it together at the end. Uh, I actually had Alcasey winning. To tell you the truth, uh, your thoughts on these first four? Alcasey is scary as. Fuck. He has no eyebrows and no yeah. hair on his head, and he looks like a hitman from fucking, I don't know, like... I don't want to see his basement. Yeah, dude. He looks like a very creepy dude. Um, but he, he fought his ass off. I thought it was a, a great fight. I thought he won, um, but a uh, close fight. Yusuf Zizal hit that spinning back kick right to the chin, like right as the fight started, like you said, and I was I was impressed with uh, Barrett's... Um, resilience and, and toughness and grit just to be able to, I mean, Zalal's an animal, man. He's, you know, he, he's very, very crafty and, um, Barrett took everything he had. Uh, so it was a good, good showing for him, but, um, you know, I think we, we saw Zalal is a, is a special talent. And, um, I think in that division, he'll probably start moving up pretty quick. I also switched my pick last minute on the Tucker James fight. Um, but it was more just because Tucker hadn't fought in a long time and uh, Jane's riding the momentum. I just kind of, you know, went with Jane's and man, in the first round, I thought, okay, I got it. You know, I was, I'm glad I changed that pick. Um, he had him in, in the deepest guillotine that you can get. And Gavin Turner, Tucker just wiggled out of it somehow. I don't know how he ended up doing it. He lost his shorts in the process and um, then ended up, you know, trying to get his own submission at the end of that round and then came out and, and, you know, pretty much dominated the next two rounds and, and took the fight. Um, another nice knockout from a, a nice mullet for uh, Andrew Sanchez. Um, that was a, a big shot, man. And uh, he's going to be, he could probably be problems at middleweight. It's interesting how the middleweights have uh, really kind of, you know, for a while it seemed like middleweight was one of the, it, it felt thin, you know, like we just didn't have a whole lot of, you know, interesting talent. But now I feel like middleweight over the last several months has really kind of blossomed into like a pretty badass division. Yeah. The more that we get these super athletes, you know, that are, that are coming over from other sports and stuff, um, our, our higher weight divisions are going to get just more and more stacked. You know, you saw the contender series last night, didn't you? 
Yeah, let's get into that. Uh, you know, Contender Series was last night. Uh, we had five bouts. We'll run through that super quick. Uh, the uh, it, This was an odd occurrence in that every single one of the winners was rewarded a contract, which I thought was uh, interesting because I don't know that I don't know that all five of these people look that good to me. I, I mean, I, there were some impressive performances. Main event, Dustin Stoltfus uh, with uh, an arm injury uh, TKO, I guess it would be a TKO due to injury after he slams Joseph Piper in the first round, late in the first round. Uh, he gets a contract. Adrian Yanez with a 39-second knockout over Brady Huang. Uh, that was pretty impressive, actually. That, that, that kid, I thought, looked good and worthy of the contract. Corey McKenna with a unanimous decision win over Vanessa Demopoulos. This is a pretty damn good fight. It was back and forth. It was a scrap, but still felt like two lower-tier UFC-type fighters to me. Corey McKenna got the contract. TJ Laramie with a uh, doctor stoppage after the first round, uh, ribs uh, broken, I guess, of Daniel Swain. He looked pretty decent. And then uh, Impa Kasagane, uh, uh, he he got a unanimous decision win over Anthony Adams in a fight that I didn't think was that, that entertaining. Uh, he moves to 7-0, and but he was willing to take a fight against Maki Patolo uh, next week, and I think that uh, played a lot into his signing, maybe. Uh, your thoughts overall on contenders? Is that who he's getting? I heard him say that he wanted to fight on the same card with um, a couple of a couple of the guys down there, but uh, I didn't know that he was getting Maki. Maki's yeah. turning around that quick. Yeah, Maki Patolo and Impa will go down on August 22nd, so not this weekend, but next weekend. Yeah, yeah. Now, Maki, Maki got submitted real quick, so right. I guess he, he wasn't injured. Yeah. It's interesting um, they would give him a quick turnaround payday like that. That was so many fighters want to fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, if you're already there and you're already tested and everything, it's it may be just easier that way. Um, Why can't Darren Stewart get a quick turnaround? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did Darren Stewart want one? Oh, yeah, he, I don't did, know. he did. He did. Darren Stewart did say he wanted a stick. I thought Darren Stewart and Kevin Holland, maybe. Yeah. Um, if Kevin Holland wanted to turn around. But Darren, Darren Stewart did say he would he would stick around and fight again if they would let him. But um, anyway, I, I thought that, you know, if anybody. If I, if I thought they were not going to give a contract out, I thought it would have been to Impa. Um, but TJ Lehrman, um, I think, you know, he went out there and just dominated a, a, a veteran. You know, a guy that's got 30 fights. Um, he's been around the Northwestern scene for a long time. Everybody up there knows who he is. He's, you know, fought in all the all the other big organizations, um, you know, and, and TJ just kind of put too much pressure on him. They said it was a rib injury. I don't know if, if – I mean, I, I don't, it looked to me like he just didn't want to be in there. He was saying after the round um, that he just couldn't do anything. Maybe that was referring to the rib, like he just didn't have any strength um, there. But um, it was a it was a good fight for for TJ. He has a great story. Um, you know, that's one of the big things for the contender is you know they they like pulling these people in who have a good story. <clears throat> the girl fight, you know, Demopoulos was the champion in in LFA. Um, and McKenna was, you know, 21 years old. She trains with Uriah and them, but, um, she's, was she Dutch? I think or Danish. Uh, I know she's fought a lot of cage warriors. So, uh, looks like, uh, I'm not exactly Welch. sure. She's Welch. Nationality is. Oh, yeah. she's Welch. Okay. Yeah, she's Welch. So she's the first ever female Welch fighter in the UFC. 
to the marketability there, I, th I, I thought that when she won, I thought that was pretty. The only thing that I thought they might do would be give her, you know, I think they may have even talked about this on the broadcast, but give her like a developmental deal. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, like you said, you know, they're kind of just middle of the tier UFC um, 25ers. But oh, I think that, you know, if, if if you're middle of the tier caliber on the contender series, you should be getting a shot in the UFC. You know, I think that um, I think she she deserved it. It's not a not a super stack division. She's a young girl that they, you know, can have to stick around for a long time. And she's just tough. She reminds me of uh, the girl. She's fought down here a couple of times. Her and her sister both fought down here. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The girls from Michigan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, right off the top of my head, I'm it's escaping me. But yeah, I know. Uh, uh, Hope. Uh, yeah. Chase. Hope Chase. Yes. Hope yeah. Chase. Hope and Bridget Chase. Yeah. She reminded me of, of those girls a little like, uh, I don't know, like an Amish housewife almost or something. But um, Giannis, man, Giannis was, was looked spectacular. I mean, that, that was as good as you could could hope to come in and perform. He was a, a big favorite coming into the fight. Another kid with, you know, just a big, you know, story that'll that'll pull on the heartstrings for people. And um, then to go in there and be violent like that and just, I mean, just sick striking. Um, you know, Dana was was that was the easiest uh, pick of the night. Um, and then what I was mentioning before, you know, we were talking about the welterweights like these are two guys, you know, when Joe when Joe Pfeiffer walked in there, like that's an athlete and a half at at 185 pounds. I mean, he's, that dude's a monster. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was good too. You know, everything, his, his striking was solid. His movement was good. Um, he, man, it was, it was hard to watch, but, um, he just, you know, uh, Strophilus got in on a, on a double leg and, uh, scooped him up, went for the slam. And, you know, usually you never want to post up with that hand as you're going down, um, with your arm out like that. But, a lot of times you'll feel for the ground, you know, just to kind of get an idea of where you're at. It's kind of like an antenna. Um, and I think his arm just kind of got stuck. It was, you know, I think he was kind of feeling for the ground just to see where he was at. And before he knew it, his hand was down solid and that, that elbow popped out of place and it was nasty. I saw an x-ray of it today um, and it just slipped right off. I mean, it was, but the way he handled it too, man, he was just like, like nothing had happened. I mean, it, it was like, it looked like he had just gotten submitted. It didn't look like he had just dislocated his elbow, you know. He just hopped right up, and he was like, oh, this sucks, you know. I hate that it happened like this. But um, Dustin Stolfus is, is, you know, a monster, too. He's an American guy who's been living in Germany, um, training and fighting his whole career. Um, you know, and I think they're expecting big things out of that kid, too. All right. That'll do it for our recap of a very busy last week in MMA. Uh, moving forward to this week. In MMA, if you will, it looks like uh, the UFC is uh, the the top of the the heap this week with a big pay per view card. Man, I'm excited for it. It is uh, UFC number two fifty three, uh, or no, it's always two fifty two. Sorry, it is UFC two fifty two, and uh, this one is going to see the uh, the final chapter, I assume, of the trilogy and what is uh, become the. I guess it's safe to say the greatest heavyweight rivalry of all time. Do you think that's safe to say with Stipe Biocic versus uh, Daniel Cormier? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, offhand, um, I can't think of another another three peat. You know, the the other big heavyweight rivalry that that you really think about is Brock and and Frank Mir. 
but yeah, in 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 uh, recent recent history, I think so. Now you know it's 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 one to one going into this one. Uh, the first time around, it was uh, it was DC getting the win, and the second time around, it was uh, uh, Bay getting the win. As uh, you know, we made some adjustments along the way and was able to 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 survive that initial onslaught. You know, DC is going to be super dangerous early. Uh, I think a lot of this comes down to the condition of DC. You know, word is that DC is is in uh, top form uh, conditioning wise and that he is, uh, you know, going to be ready to, to go the distance if needed in the past. You know, he's just really seemed to fade as the fight goes on super dangerous early. Um, but I think that's going to be a big, a big indicator. You know, if he, if he can keep that pace and, and you kind of stay on Stipe's ass, like past the third round, then I think that he's got a good chance to win. Uh, you know, he said that this is going to be his retirement fight as well. Uh, your thoughts on this fight and any, do you get, do you believe that this will indeed be, uh, the retirement fight for these guys or do you think, uh, you know, they'll still, they'll still stay at it. I think it's very, very likely that either guy or both guys could retire. Um, you know, Daniel's pretty, pretty firm on the fact that he will, but his coaches, uh, said that they believe if he wins that, that Dane is going to throw you know, way too much money at him and offer him a, a third Jones fight at heavyweight and they think he'll take it, um, which wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. I think the, the move for Cormier is to win this fight and retire um, or I think I think the move for him is to retire, period. Um, but if he wins, I think, you know, I don't think he should stick around for Stipe. If Stipe wins, I think, you know, I think Stipe still got a couple years left on him. Um you know, I think both guys believe that they're the superior fighter uh, in this. You know, I think that if you if you look at the first couple fights, I don't really see um, where Stipe is is uh, getting his information from as far as, as thinking he's so much better than Daniel and that this is going to be an easy fight. I think Daniel won most of the last fight just until he lost, you know, and then obviously he, he got the knockout in the first one. Yeah. Um, so, but I think the weight's going to be a, a a a big factor. You know, if Cormier says he's he's going to be you know under two forty. Um, you know that that I think that's two thirty five, two forty. I think Daniel Cormier is a monster, and if he can get a hold of you, he can take you for as many rides as he wants. He says that's what he's going to do. Uh, but Stipe knows how to wrestle too, and you know he's definitely been been preparing for Daniel to, to wrestle. Um, you know, Daniel's on Daniel really hits just a few types of takedowns that he hits constantly. Um, so, you know, as long as you, you have a pretty good awareness of, of what's coming, um, I think that he can stop a lot of the takedowns. <clears throat> um, but I, I don't know, man, I, I think it's going to be a hell of a fight. I, I, I'm, I feel a, uh, steep, a decision. Um, but, uh, I'll be back and forth until that one happens. Uh, odds makers open this as a pick em, minus 110, and uh, it's pretty much stayed there. You know, it seems like a little more action has come in on DC, but not nothing, you know, it's negligible. I think I'm going Stipe, man. I think I, uh, you know, he has the ability to knock him out. He has the ability uh, to to drag it out and, uh, and fight a paced game plan as well. But I would, you know, I, I certainly won't be shocked if DC pulls this off. I won't even feel bad if he does. Honestly, I kind of hope he does. Yeah, I kind of felt that way for the first two fights. And, like, do you think that Stipe won a round other than the, the round that he finished uh, DC in last time? Um, 
I think that maybe the round right before it was kind of starting to turn. It, it felt like a little bit, you know, I think that, you know, he, Stipe seems to have adjusted during in the middle of the fight. Well, yeah. You know, and I think that, 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 that's a, that's a great attribute to have, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I trust me. I, I like DC. I want, I'd, I'd love to see him win. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, it's a hard call. I, I'm, I'm going to, I've been on Stipe. My gut said Stipe for the rip and I'm not changing it. My yeah, wife I, probably won't, won't like that. But, I want uh, Stipe. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. Co-main event. This one should be fun. Uh, the sugar show returns sugar, Sean O'Malley, uh, taking his biggest step up, to date in competition as he takes on Marlon Cheeto Vera. Vera coming in uh, five and one in his last six. Um, you know, a guy that's very durable, a guy that's, uh, you know, kind of on the rise, man. Marlon Vera is, uh, you know, every time we, we talk about him, it's it's favorably, you know. So I think this is a really good next uh, natural progression step for Sean O'Malley. He's looking to stay undefeated. He's a UFC, uh, you know, a promotional darling, if you will. Uh, I know that there's some big fights down the road. They would love to see him in. So, you know, they want to see him win here. But, uh, yeah, I think Vera's going to be tough, man. I don't think that, uh, you know, he's not going to roll over. That's for sure. Um, and uh, odds makers uh, have got uh, Sean O'Malley right around three to one favorite, you know, a little bit higher, a little bit lower in some places. But for the most part, he's about three to one. A little too expensive for my blood. I, I still lean O'Malley here. But, uh, man, I just feel like it, with it being a, a good step up in competition against a guy that's pretty durable, um, I'm a little scared to lay all that all that chalk. Yeah, <clears throat> I like uh, I like the odds on, on Marlon Vera. You know, I think that, um, you know, Sean, Sean it definitely in the UFC is untested on the ground. He's done some, some stuff outside of the UFC. He, he submitted Takanori Gomi in a, in a little thing, and he – um, went eight minutes to a draw with um, Gilbert Melendez. Um, you know, he did a little thing with, uh, uh, what's it, Hector Lombard, I think, got him in a heel hook in, in that tournament. But anyway, he, you know, he's unproven on the ground, but Marlon is not. Um, you know, he's a black belt, high-level black belt with, you know, six or seven submissions on his record. Um, and he's got four or five, five, six knockouts, I think. So, um, I think that he can test the chin of O'Malley as well as as take him down and and you know test the jujitsu of him. I think the odds are are very wide. Um, just you know, Marlon's coming off of he lost his last fight, but I don't know if you remember it or not. But it was he definitely won the fight, but the judges gave it to Song Yudong. Um, yeah, and without that, he's on a six fight win streak. Uh, you know, fighting some tough tough dudes at a higher level than Sean O'Malley has faced for sure. Um, so I, I, I mean, I'll be, it'll be very tempting to, to throw some money on, on Marlon Vera. The feature bout is a heavyweight fight. We were talking about just a little bit earlier. It's going to be two guys coming off of a loss, two guys needing a win one, maybe more so than the other junior dos Santos JDS, uh, will be taking on the Arzino Rosenstreich, uh, you know, Rosenstreich last time out just got, fucking mauled by Nganu in just seconds. I mean, he just got jobbed. You know, it was uh, it, not a good look. And he was undefeated coming into that one, but still hadn't, you know, didn't have like a signature win yet and still doesn't really, in my opinion. 
but a lot of the, you know, striking credentials, uh, you know, top level kickboxer, uh, Junior Dos Santos, you know, uh, last time out for him, he, he, he also lost by knockout, you know, um, it was, uh, not, not, not pretty to watch, man. It's, <laughs> uh, uh, in JDS is, you know, I feel like is definitely the more well-rounded guy. He's got more ways to win. If you get this fight to the ground, you know, it's, it is not anywhere near close, you know, uh, but can he withstand uh, the onslaught? You know, Rosenstruck's going to be throwing, you know, Curtis Blades managed to knock him out and Ganu knocked him out before that. So he lasted about a minute more with Ganu than, than Rosenstruck did. But, uh, yeah, both these guys need wins, man. You know, um, I feel like Derek Lewis is waiting on one of them, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, uh, you know, the odds makers on this one, uh, it looks like they, they opened uh, this fight with uh, Rosenstruck as the favorite, minus 140. That's what it remains now. So uh, a slight level of favoritism towards uh, Rosenstruck. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, I mean, I think Rosenstruck's the fresher – I guess you could say of, of the guys, he's younger. He's, you know, a good bit younger, but uh, he's got a lot of miles on him in kickboxing too. You know, he had a long, a long career there and um, he only lost a few fights, but he got, you know, he, he took shots. He was, it was a, it was a kickboxing career that he had. So, um, you know, like you said, his biggest win really was over him in a fight that he was getting demolished in until the last second. He just happened to catch a punch. With five seconds to go. Yeah, and the referee, and it shouldn't have even been stopped. I mean, it, you know, he got lucky with that one. Um, he finished Orlovsky, uh, was, which was, would have been his, his only other big one. It's shit um, after that, though. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I like Junior in this fight. Uh, I think I've seen some some pictures of him recently. He looks like a fucking monster with a nice molestache. And um, I think he's, he's, you know, taking this camp pretty seriously. I heard that these guys i didn't realize but i i guess i heard these guys are both at, at coconut creek um you know and they, you can't have that many heavyweights i mean you know they i haven't heard anything about them being training partners or anything like that but if they're at the same camp how many heavyweights can you really have at, at that level to get you to get work with um so i feel like these guys probably are going to have a um you know a decent um awareness of of one another's skill set um and you know well, I don't know. We'll see how that that plays into it. But um, Jarzino just hasn't really impressed me that much. Um, Junior's getting old, but I think he, you know, the, the power is the last thing to go. And I, I think ultimately, I doubt we see this. But if Junior wants to, there's a pretty pretty easy way to victory. I, I feel like you know, he's Junior's a black belt in in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, and Jari is, you know, I don't I don't know if he's ranked in jiu-jitsu at all so i think that you know there's a, a, a easy path to victory but i don't see junior taking that um so i don't know uh but i think junior can can knock him out even even still if they stay on the feet before that we have bantamweight affair with uh two guys that are both coming off wins we got john dodson taking on marab davisvili davisvili's won four in a row man and i'm a fan of this guy he's a machine like if you play draft teams like Gotta play Davis Vili. <laughs> like he's just scores a lot of points on DraftKings all the time. Uh taking on John Dodson, who uh, you know, he uh last time out uh had a TKO over uh, Nathaniel Wood, uh, which was a pretty good win, you know. Uh, but before that he'd lost two in a row, one to Peter Yawn, one to Jimmy Rivera. Man, I, I feel like 
Marab Navasvili is more in that Peter Yan and uh, Jimmy Rivera echelon of opponents, uh, you know, in my opinion. Uh, you know, uh, Davisvili is, uh, you know, he's not a finisher by any means. He's going to he's going to take your ass down over and over and over. But I it's going to come down to the question is John Dodson quick enough to just move around and, uh, you know, outpoint him without getting the, the distance closed on him. And honestly, with you know, they're in the small cage. I just don't see that happening. Odds makers open Davisvili up uh, looks like uh, at minus 170. And uh, I would have loved to have gotten that line because now it's been bet all the way up to minus 230 and i still probably take that action too yeah i agree uh, you know marav is an animal he's a cardio machine he's relentless with the takedown <clears throat> he doesn't care if you get back up he's just going to pick you up and put you back down um you know i can't remember the ricky simone fight but it was a technical submission at the end of the third round and you know i don't remember exactly what happened but i know it he also has a, a split decision loss to Frankie Sands was his first fight. And if you hear Ray Longo talk about it, Ray always says he should be six and zero in the UFC if it weren't for some, some bad uh, judging and, and officiating. So I don't know what that, what that uh, submission at five minutes of the third round was. Um, I'm not really sure. I, I'd have to look back at that fight, but he's a beast, man. He, you know, he, he's in there every day with Aljo pushing Aljo, um, you know, Aljo's, best in the world and and talks constantly about Marab is is the reason that Aljo is the way you know is able to push the way he is and he says that Marab just runs circles around him um Dodson's getting older <clears throat> you know they're they're both going to be small compact uh I just I see Dodson getting picked up and put down a bunch of times in this fight um he's quick but I just don't think he's fast enough to get out of out of the way of Marab um, I think the only danger for Marab in this fight is is coming in with wild shots just to try to, to close the distance and, and get to the legs and, and getting caught there. Um, John Dodson can still hit like a truck, you know, for, for a little guy that's always been Dodson's, you know, weapons are his speed and his power. Um, so if, if, if Marab can stay away from the power, um, you know, I think that I think the power will be drained by the second round anyway. And, um, Marab will take over from there. Opening up the main card. Now, we were originally supposed to have a fight I was looking forward to, the rematch uh, against Ankalaev and Kudalabra. Uh, you know, last time out, Kudalabra was playing possum and he was acting like he was uh, on uh, Queer Street, you know, uh, he was really throwing back and it was all just kind of an act. But the referee stepped in and stopped the fight because he thought he was out on his feet. He was like acting too well. Uh, you know, so uh, they were going to rematch, but then uh, Kudalabra tested positive for COVID uh, yesterday. And I believe I read this has been rescheduled for August 29th. I could be wrong about that date, but uh, I'm pretty positive they have rescheduled that fight. Uh, so now on the main card, we get Jim Miller taking on Vince Michelle in a 155-pound contest. Now, last time we saw Jim Miller, it was uh, in a losing effort to Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman. So, you know, the question is, is, uh, you know, when does Jim finally run out of gas? Uh, you know, uh, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Holtzman was was the time before. Uh, actually, Jim Miller's on a win. I'm crazy. Uh, he actually beat Roosevelt Roberts with an arm bar uh, in the first round. Uh, and we were on top of him because we thought he was too salty for uh, Roosevelt Roberts. And we cashed on him as a, a great underdog, actually. Uh, so he's actually coming in hot. 
And he's taking on Vince Michelle, uh, who it seems like it's been a while since we've seen him. It's been a, over a year, it looks like. And his last win was also over Roosevelt Roberts. So we do have a common opponent. In fact, it was both of their last opponent. But uh, Vince, Vince didn't get him out of there. He, you know, he went all the rounds with him. Before that, he had another year off before that fight where he lost to Gregor Gillespie. So he's just been really sporadic. Uh, Pichelle's a guy that I recall being very large at the, at the, he's always seemed like a really big, long 155er. He's tough. This is a tough fight to call, man. My initial lean was Vince Pichelle, but with him being gone for, for, you know, a year and just only having fought two times in the last two years, just very sporadic. Plus he's not young. He's, he's almost 38 years old. So it's not like you can say like Jim Miller's, you know, older than him and, more shop worn. So, uh, you know, that's a hard one to call. They, the odds opened up as even minus 110. The money has come in oh so slightly on Pichelle. He's now like minus 125. My initial lean is Pichelle, but right now I think I'm on a pass. I love Vince, man. I think that he's a guy who has fallen victim to uh, circumstance and injury that has cost him from having the career that he, that he potentially could have had. Um, you know, if you look at his record, his two losses in the UFC are the Gregor Gillespie loss, which is nothing to hang your hat on, and Bruce Dom Hobbylov, who is an absolute monster that you would know a lot more about if he were not as, you know, sporadically fighting. Um, <clears throat> you know, but, you know, he's, he's knocked out. He's got six, five wins in the UFC. Um, you know, he, he knocked out Njikwani when Njikwani when came in and, and had a lot of hype behind him. Uh, Joaquin Silva. Um, you know, so he's a guy that's 12 and two. Um, and I think he has all the, all the talent in the world. Um, the, I think the edge, if there is an edge for Jim Miller, it's going to be in the submission department. Vince has worked on that a lot. I, I think, um, over the years, um, I think he's a Brown belt, but, um, you know, Jim, Jim's a pretty high level black belt. So I think that's, that's where the opportunity will lie for Jim Miller. Um, but I just don't think that he can get the fight to the ground and keep it there long enough to, to lock anything in. I think Vince is going to be um, just a little too crisp on the striking and, and piece him up on the feet and probably get the knockout. Um, but it's, it's a, I think it's, I'm, I'm glad this fight got moved up just to kind of get Vince a little spotlight. Um, he's a good dude and he, you know, he's a hell of a fighter that, like I said, he just, has had injuries here and there that have kept him from he'll never he'll never be a champion, like you say, because of his age and stuff. But he had the potential to be a contender, you know, but now he'll, he'll never get that. But um, <clears throat> it'll be nice to see him get some shine. The featured preliminary bout is a women's strawweight bout between Liviana Souza, uh, the Brazilian gangsta. Uh, 13 and two coming off uh, a loss though. Last time out, uh, she lost unanimous decision to Brianna Van Buren. And that was a year ago, uh, taking on, uh, the seven and five spider monkey, Ashley Yoder, who's also coming off a loss nine months ago. She lost a split decision to Brandon Marcos before that though. She had two wins in a row over, uh, Amanda Cooper and Siri Kondo. Um, man, this one, uh, to me is, um, you know, I, I'm really having a hard time figuring out the line movement here because uh, uh, Souza opened as minus 250, which is what I would, you know, that's I that sounds okay, that sounds right. But the month they bet the hell out of Ashley Yoder to where now Souza is only like minus 160, and I feel like that's like a real good price on her unless there's something I'm missing here. You know, is Yoder 
Has she got the kryptonite to Sousa for some reason here? I just don't – I'm not seeing why uh, all the love for Sousa, you know. Sousa is uh, – is, you know, she's 2-1 and one in the UFC, and I, I want to say maybe – was she a Invicta champion? Um, I think so. Yoder's yeah. solid, though. I mean, Yoder's – you know, I think that she is coming off of a loss, and it was a, a, a tough loss. But I think this is going to be a competitive fight. Um, the over-unders is – pretty high on two and a half. And I think you could see a finish in this fight. I think both girls are going to be scrappy. Um, and I think you could see a submission out of either, either girl. Before that, we've got the return of Herbert Burns, who uh, last time out we saw defeat Evan uh, Dunham. Really impressive performance in that fight. I was on Dunham. I was thought that he would just be too experienced for him. But no, Burns just really just beat him pretty effortlessly. Uh, he makes the return here to featherweight contest against the returning Daniel Pitt Pineda. Pineda has been uh, in the UFC before. It's been a few years. He, he didn't really do very good, but he's an action fighter. You know, he's a guy that has uh, had a lot of LFA fights. Uh, you know, uh, you thought uh, he's fought some tough guys. He, he's, a, he's a tough guy. He's a big shredded up uh, featherweight, and he hits hard. But I think if he doesn't not land a knockout punch here, he's going to be in trouble. This one hits the ground with uh, Herbert Burns, in my opinion, anyway. Now, uh, the pit was in uh, he was in the PFL, I guess, and he he got popped for the juice. And so like his last two fights, he would he would kind of be like on a pretty good winning streak. But those last two got overturned by uh, failed drug tests. So uh, really, you know, the, his record shows 26 and 13. But I guess he's kind of like 28 and 13 with performance enhancers. Uh, Burns, though, he's coming in hot, man. Beat Evan Dunham, beat, beat Nathan Train Landwehr, you know, uh, beat Derek Minner. He, he's coming in hot and, uh, and is a very uh, deserving favorite, I think, here. Uh, he opened at minus uh, 260. They've been him up now to about minus 300. I'll be using him in some parlays. Yeah, <clears throat> Pajeda's got a... a- a massive record. I mean, he's, you know, fought, he's fought a lot of times compared to Herbert Burns. Um, so the experience is going to be on his side, but Herbert is just a killer. You know, he's, he's, his brother's a killer. He's a killer. They're going at each other all the time. Um, you know, and, and they say that, you know, as, as good as Gilbert Burns is on the ground, that Herbert is far better. Um, so, uh, and we've seen, you know, we've seen how nasty his striking is since he's been in the UFC. So I think it's going to be a pretty, uh, solid win for Herbert Burns over an opponent with, you know, you know the guy technically would have been in the finals of the, of the uh, of that tournament had he not failed that drug test. Um, I think so. Uh, I think it's a it's a good fight for for Herbert Burns to you know to pick up some steam on. We got the return of the little bulldog Felice Herring after uh, about a two year absence, uh, nearly two years. It's been since she lost to Michelle Watterson. For that, a split decision loss to Carolina Kovalkiewicz. So, you know, it's been nearly three years since uh, Felice Herring's had a win. She's uh, taking on the 15 and 1 Brazilian. Irina Jandaroba, who last time out uh, defeated Mallory Martin by submission with a rear naked choke. Her one loss was to Carla Esparza. And so that gives me a little bit of credence to, you know, Harry can wrestle pretty decent. So there is an avenue to victory here if she can, like, 
kind of grind on a decision, uh, I think. But with her being out for two years, there's just too many unknowns. Uh, the uh, favorite is uh, Verna Jandaroba. Uh, looks like she opened uh, initially as a minus 155, and they have bet the hell out of her all the way to minus 300 now. So they've got her up there kind of high for my liking. I don't think I can buy it on, on the line that big just because Harry could take her down indecision or maybe still i see that that line of uh that path to victory possibly yeah i think <clears throat> the biggest difference in uh, felice harrigan and carlos esparza is the probably going to be the submission defense verna's got all all but three of her wins she got 12 submissions and three decisions so felice probably can take her down but then once they get there um i think she might be in trouble with verna you know that's that's where she wants the fight to go um and I think she's going to be probably throwing up submissions left and right. I would love to see where Felice Herrick's contract is right now. I think this is a shit matchup for her, um, in my opinion. And it almost feels a lot like the the Paige Van Zant one, you know, where they just gave Paige a, an impossible task. Uh, and I, I just don't see this going well for, for Felice Herrick. I think that um, it'd be hard to, to – it's hard for me to throw that much money on a favorite Anytime, you know, unless I'm parlaying them with someone, but um, I don't see much of a route to victory for Felice Harrigan in this one. And I think it's kind of a shame. I think she is somebody that the, that the UFC could have groomed into a, a, a good star, um, but sitting out for as long as she has. And, um, you know, she's she, there could be better opponents for her to come back from a two year layoff uh, from, I think. We've got. Uh... Featherweight's up next. TJ Brown taking on Danny Chavez. Uh, Danny Chavez is making his UFC debut, and he just fought like two weeks ago. He uh, he fought on this Global Legion card down in Florida um, and knocked out Dylan Callett uh, pretty quick. So he's on a quick turnaround here, making his UFC debut against TJ Brown. Uh, TJ Brown, 14 and 7. You know, he's a tricky one, man. TJ Brown's a tough one to read because, like, he's he seems like the kind of guy that can beat anybody on his good days and he can lose to anybody on his bad days. So really hard fight to read to me for me. Uh, last time out, uh, it looks like um, he lost to uh, Jordan Griffin, uh, which, you know, Jordan Griffin's tough, tough guy, you know, not a terrible loss for that. He came in on the contender series and he'd been fighting on LFA. He had a head kick win over Ken Beverly. I remember that. So, you know, TJ is, you know, he's a tough guy. Uh, Chavez is a guy that, uh, you know, like I said, a couple weeks ago, he had the knockout over Callow. Before that, he had a knockout as well. So he's obviously got some power. In fact, his last three wins are all by knockout. So, uh, you know, TJ Brown comes into this one minus 205, uh, a relatively decent favorite. I'm kind of a dog or pass on this one, man. They're betting it down anyway, because now even though TJ opened at minus 200, he's now minus 150. So the money coming in on Chavez. And so if you like Chavez, you probably better get it in quick. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, like you said, I think kind of all depends on what T.J. Brown shows up. I, th- I think we know Danny Chavez is, is coming in there for a finish, and um, he's coming to make the most of the opportunity. I think T.J. has the skill set to to beat anybody in the world um, on the on the right day. But like you said, it's kind of just hit or miss. Um, so if he's able to, to weather the storm in, in the early rounds, you know, maybe – uh, take Chavez into, into some deeper water and, and see if he can still swim. 
And uh, let's see. Looks like uh, we've got heavyweights, low-level, entry-level heavyweights here on short notice. Christopher Dawkins, eight and three, takes on Parker Porter, ten and five. Parker Porter is the favorite at minus one sixty to open. He's been uh, the money's come in on Dawkins. Uh, now it's more or less a pick 'em. I don't know much about these guys. I know Dawkins is the Cage Fury uh, heavyweight champion, or he was about to maybe fight for the heavyweight championship. His brother is Kyle Dawkins, who we saw fight Brendan Allen. Uh, he lost, but I remember him impressing me. is very tough. Um, Parker Porter, I just don't know much about. Uh, interesting note, he fought John Jones a long time ago. He was one of John Jones' like very first fights. Uh, any any info here? Not really. Uh, Parker Porter is going to be the bigger guy, I think. Um, coming in a little heavier. Dawkins is a little taller. Um, but I, I, I just, just based off of um, the relationship and, and also – Decent little age gap. Dawkins is 30. Parker's 35. Um, I think I would have to lean towards Dawkins in this one. Uh, but I don't know enough about either either one of these guys to to have much confidence in a pick here. All right. And then they added a fight yesterday. Uh, you know, I guess where we lost Kudalabra and Ankalai if they felt the need to, to give us one more. So Kai Kamaka will take on Tony Kelly. Uh, Kai Kamaka, we saw last just about a week and a half ago on LFA, he won against Michael Stack. Uh, before that, he fought for Bellator a few times. He's 7-2, and two, Hawaiian guy, comes from uh, the Max Holloway's uh, group there. He'll be taking on Tony Kelly, 5-1 and one out of Louisiana. You may remember him from that cage show where um, Schnell, where um, Danger, Matt Danger Schnell came from. Do you remember that on MTV? This guy was yeah. on that. Uh, this guy yeah, was he, on that show. He's, you know, with he, he's with Weibel, right? Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's five and one coming into this. Thirty-three years old and making his UFC debut with only six fights um, makes me a little skeptical. There's no odds on this one yet, but uh, you know, last time out he has a win over a two and five guy. Uh, before that, he had taken a step and uh, step up and lost a decision to Kevin Aguilar. To his credit, he did go the distance, uh, but just doesn't really have a whole lot of great-looking uh, wins, comparatively speaking, to Kamaka. I think uh, whatever the line comes out, if it's not crazy, I'll be leaning towards Kamaka. Yeah, I don't I don't know a ton about either guy. Um, you know, going to a decision with Kevin Aguilar, I think, is says something, you know, losing that fight, um, you know, especially not having a ton of fights. You know, it's one that you that you can really learn from and, and uh, you know, get some experience from. Making his UFC debut, he's going to be hungry and, and ready to go. Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of these guys that Matt's, Matt has on his roster that he's bringing in are, are savages. So, um, looking forward to seeing what this kid's got. All right. That's going to be your UFC uh, 252 preview. It's going down this weekend. We'll uh, we'll circle back next week and we will do uh, a recap of that show. And uh, before we wrap it up tonight, we just got a few little news and notes to hit on. We'll make this brief little lightning round type uh, situation here. Uh, a couple of uh, quick, just uh, more or less transactions, if you will. Bellator has signed Corey Anderson to uh, to their, I guess, would be their 205 division. You, uh, What do you think about that? That was an interesting one. He wasn't even he I think he still had two fights left on his contract and um <clears throat> I think he was still on maybe ultimate fighter money and uh, they were trying to work out a better deal and the UFC said no, just kinda of take it or leave it. And so he asked for his release and right away they said yes and gave it to him and he was signed with Bellator pretty quick and 
says that, you know, he was ranked number four in the world, I think, and with the UFC, and he says that Bellator is paying him like the number four ranked guy in the world should be paid. Um, <clears throat> it brings in, I like it for Bellator. I, you know, I think that it, it brings in some competition uh, for Ryan Bader a little bit, maybe, uh, you know, give him a guy that, that can wrestle a little bit, um, you know, that and, you know, Corey Anderson's on a high level. So and there are some interesting matchups over there for him. Um, I think it just was a money decision for him. Um, you know, I don't, I don't blame him for it, though. Also, uh, one that kind of shocked me, man, Paige Van Zandt. As, uh, and I figured she'd land in Bellator and she ends up signing with Bare Knuckle Boxing. Uh, they must be paying her a lot of money. It's the only thing I can imagine that she's hitting a real good lick here because that's her moneymaker she's fucking with. Yeah, multi-millions from what I understand. Um, I heard this coming through a few weeks ago. Um, and I was just hoping that it wasn't going to come to fruition, but I, you know, I think that Dana kind of fucked her in the end when, you know, he, he gave her that tough matchup and then said, basically, we're not even going to counter any, anybody just go, go test the market and go somewhere else. You don't really have a home here. And so I think that definitely hurt her bargaining power with, you know, Bellator or anybody else. And I think it ended up being that, that bare knuckle was willing to bust their nut on them on her just for the name, uh, where these other organizations, you know, just weren't coming to the table as much, maybe. Um, I heard an interesting quote from her today, though, about um, that there's a stigma, you know, was a stigma on her in, in the UFC that she was just this pretty face. And what better way to show that she doesn't care about that than go to a sport where you're going to get cut and busted up. And um, that, she, you know, she says, I don't care that I'm, I'm going to get scars and I don't care about my face. You know, I want to prove that to people, which is kind of weird to me. I don't really understand the logic there. Um but the money part makes sense. I mean, if she's signing a multi-million dollar deal, um, it makes sense. There's only one fight that I th- over there I think that makes sense for her right now without them um, signing somebody. Uh, but um, Beck Rawlings has you know fought with them a few times, and uh, she's got a win over Beck. So I think they can market that fight. I think we talked about that when she first got released. But um, I-, I don't know, man. It's it's a there's not going to be a ton of eyeballs on her. I mean, I think that. As far as her fame goes, you know, and then building her star, she would have done better at Bellator. Um, or, man, if she, if she could have gotten, I feel like if she could have gotten in with a, a one championship and gotten one of these sponsorship deals in China, like um, like Demetrius and, and these other cats are getting, she could have been huge. You know, she, if she blows up in a, in a country like that, you know, her money's not really coming from fighting uh, ultimately anyway. I think that, you know, just, it's her following that, that allows her to do the things that she is able to do and, and create revenue. Um, so I think that Bellator would have been, would have been where I thought she would have landed, but I uh, definitely didn't think this was where we were going to see her. And I don't think very many people are excited about it. UFC uh, also uh, for the record, you know, Max Roskopf last uh, we saw he quit on his stool. Uh, there was a lot, there's a lot of controversy, you know, uh, surrounding that fight. And, uh, you know, there's a question whether or not he'd be cut or if uh, they bring him back and he got cut. And I don't even know if he even minds. You know, I think maybe he realizes he needs some seasoning. Go back out there on the regional circuit, see if he can't get things right mentally, match him up tough out there, you know, make him have to dig deep and then uh, see if he can make it back. Yeah, I haven't seen much of it yet. But I, I can see some people spinning this and, and, you know, saying that this is a bad move on the part of the UFC, that they should celebrate fighters who are, are you know, willing to, to say, OK, 
there's no reason to go back out there. But ultimately, the kid's just not ready, uh, you know, and that's it's not it's not about they quit or anything. I don't think that he can never get a shot in the UFC again. But right now, he's not ready for that hard of a fight for, you know, at that level for 15 minutes. And, you know, maybe if he gets some more fights in him, I don't, I don't even know that he is going to fight again. I mean, he may have learned enough about himself that night that he just goes to coaching or something else from this. But um, I, I saw this coming, um, you know, so I'm kind of surprised that it took this long, maybe just to just so that they wouldn't catch as much heat from it, you know, let let the uh, let people forget about what happened and um, that hope that it slid under the radar. But I think some there's some reporters that are, you know, snakes that want to just try to get the UFC any way they can. And um, they're, they kind of brought that this whole cut it to light. You know, there's a lot of times guys get cut. You don't hear anything about it. So um, not really a surprise to me, though. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it, man. Let's wrap this uh, bad boy up. It's uh, uh, going to do it for another episode. Uh, make sure that uh, you uh, you follow our Facebook page, Power Hour Podcast. Uh, make sure you uh, like, share, and rate the uh, podcast everywhere that you listen. Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, all those good places and more. Um, until next week, man, uh, for my co-host, Justin Watson, I'm Tim Loy signing off. Another edition of the Valor Hour. It's over. It's in the books. Later. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Who has to make the better adjustment? Daniel Cormier limiting the body shots from Stipe or Stipe keeping the fight at range instead of in a grappling range? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't don't think Stipe is going to be able to make that adjustment. I think DC can make that adjustment. Um, I just feel like I feel like it's much easier to protect your body than it is to to, to control the range in, in a fight. So I think it's more likely Cormier does it. But the thing is, like, sure, in, in rounds one and two, DC is going to be able to do that. But in rounds three, four, and five, it might not be his choice. His body just might not be operating at, at full functioning capacity. So I, I would imagine that if we're looking at who's going to make a better adjustment. Even though Stipe is my pick, I, I think it's more likely DC does make it. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of who's going to adjust better in this fight? I think Cormier has to be the one that has to make the bigger adjustment. I, I still believe that Miocic can fight at a grappling distance and be okay. I, I just think that if he's able to land those body shots, and you have to imagine that that is going to be a key component of his game plan. So I would say Cormier's got to be the one that has to make the bigger adjustment. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.